The Recruitment Mentors community is now completely open for you to join. It's the meeting point for recruitment professionals who want to take their development and growth into their own hands. Whether you're starting out your career or five years into it, our mission is to empower you to accelerate your development with the most successful, collective, current and responsive teachings from outside of your four walls. You can now join the community for just £39 per month by going directly to our website at recruitmentmentors.com. That's recruitmentmentors.com. Your new mentors are waiting to meet you. Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Uh, today, I'm very excited to be joined by Chris Atia, who is the CEO of Engtao. Engtao are an innovative and rapidly expanding Chicago-based search firm providing recruitment services to the U.S. engineering industry. Um, Chris has ambitious goals for Engtao and wants the company to be a 100-person business by the end of 2023. Before Chris launched Engtao in 2017, he worked for S3, where he climbed the ranks from consultant to regional director, where he took his recruitment career to the States and along the way won outstanding awards like the Manager of the Year Award at S3 in 2014. Chris, thanks for joining me. Uh, not at all. Thanks for having me. As I said earlier, you've been a long-time fan of the show, so uh, yeah, pumped to be on here. Love it. And for those that can't see this, Chris has delighted all, all of us with his uh, fruity, fruity <laughs> show. He's got flamingos. Is it flamingos? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think it is Flamingos. Yeah, I was told that it wouldn't be. I knew it was going to be a podcast, so uh, dressed appropriately with a, a very moody shirt. Love that. So first question I have for you and where we always like to start is, in, in your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you think make up a, a highly successful recruitment consultant? Uh, good question. So I think, you know, when I look at this, I think you've got and basically a kind of baseline of characteristics that, that I think all top pillars have. And then I think there's almost various ways you can kind of go go with it. So for me, I would say, you know, work ethic is, is just a no-brainer. Right? You know, I've never seen anyone be successful in this job or, or indeed any job, you know, if they're lazy. So I think, you know, being, you know, having a good work ethic is essential. Um, I think commercial acumen and business acumen is, is always something that I look for. Um, someone that understands business, you know, has a little bit of kind of commercial savvy about them and then i think you know certainly in, in the u.s market in particular and, and also the, the way the recruitment world is going right now i think being a strong relationship builder and having good kind of influencing skills i think is, is really important so when i look at characteristics but those three are kind of non-negotiables essentially what you do with them i think can change like if i look at our two top billers at our company um, you know, actually, they're quite different. Like the way that they approach the job is is actually very different, and they've both been tremendously successful. So I think you can, you know, approach the role in a different way and be equally as successful. But I think those three kind of fundamental characteristics you, you would see in in most top performers, in my opinion. Yeah, I like that. So just just to frame this up for everyone. So um, obviously, so for the last nearly four years now, you've been building your own recruitment business which is obviously Engtao, as we mentioned. And then for sort of seven and a half years, you worked at S3. Um, 
So let's, what we'll do first is let's, let's just talk a bit about that and that journey. Um, and then we'll go into, yeah, your whole journey so far in, in running a business, which will be obviously a completely different experience from being an employee. So um, really quickly, so just for all of us, that, so we can understand this. So when did you take your career abroad? Like when, at what part of your career out of interest? Uh, 2012. So um, I, I joined S3 in 2010 in London, um, worked for Computer Futures London um, um, division, um, the kind of founding team, I guess, within S3. Um, did that for two years and then moved out to Chicago in 2012. Um, I was one of, I think there was, there was about four or five people in Chicago when I moved over. Um, worked for Huxley, so the banking and finance brand, and I went over there to launch uh, the life sciences team under real staffing. So, yeah, moved there beginning of 2012. Okay, so beginning of 2012, and then and then was you there? Have you been there ever since? Yep, yeah. So worked for S3 for I think it was about five years after that. Um, came in as a, a senior consultant in, in in the US, and you know, like like you said, kind of worked up to to the kind of regional director role, and then yeah, 2017. Um, you know, the end of 2017, decided to to branch off and, and launch my own business with, with the help of, of my kind of business partner and investor Mark. Okay, got it. So let let's talk a bit about this then. So firstly, always interested. Mentioned this a couple of times, but sort of outside looking in, S3's got this sort of reputation of being this amazing company, high standards, culture, all these types of things. So I guess from your point of view, when you went into that business in 2010, like how would you describe it? How would you describe the culture and the non-negotiables of that culture? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting company. And I think it's, uh, it really is like a, you know, it's an interesting company to almost do like a, a case study on, I think. Um, you know, I think you had, was it Ashley Lawrence on this podcast a yeah. year or so ago? And I think he described it perfectly. He said the, the culture was lacking and not particularly good, but the environment was, was phenomenal. And I think that I couldn't sum it up any better myself. I think culturally, you know, it was quite questionable. I think that, you know, it was very, you know, probably unrealistic standards, um, you know, a lot of burnout. Um, a lot of very kind of old school mentality. Um, and part of my driver to launch this company was to um, basically do something different and create a different culture. Because I actually didn't love a lot of what their culture stood for. Um, however, I thought the environment was fantastic. You know, they have incredibly high standards. A average performer at S3 would be a top performer anywhere else in, in the world. Um, you know, a bottom performer at S3 would probably be a very good performer in a lot of other companies. Um, I think operationally, they're very, very good. So everything from their back office systems to, um, you know, the, the general kind of, you know, like logistics of how they run their business day in, day out. But I just think the caliber of people are, are so high. And when you come from an environment where, Every day you're expected to give 150%. You know, even if you go into another environment and give 120%, like you know, you you end up excelling. So, um, for me, I I don't think it's a um coincidence that so many recruitment businesses have been started by excess three people because it's a 
phenomenal breeding ground for entrepreneurialism for people that you know want to be the best in the industry and and fundamentally i think that environment and that mentality is why so many people that leave next week do, do go on to do some very good things so sort of if you were to sort of bottle all, all of that up like what i don't know what, what do you think would be the secret sauce i'm, I'm just curious about this <laughs> environment <laughs> I mean, I think for me, a lot of it comes from their organic growth model, I, I think. You know, and I think it's the best thing and the worst thing about S3 because I think you've got incredibly pronounced strengths and you've got incredibly pronounced weaknesses. So if I look at my chain of, um, you know, kind of command, I guess, like I reported into the same person for five or six years. She reported into the same person for 15 years and he reported to the same person for 18 years. So you, you have this kind of, you know, the, the top guys that founded the company, people like Russell Clements and Gary Eldon and, and you know, I'm sure the guys before them that founded the, and the organisation, I think their strengths are very well pronounced because it trickles down into the whole environment. Mm. So very hardworking, very driven, very entrepreneurial. Um, but also where, where they lack is getting those fresh ideas because, you know, everyone speaks the same language. They've all been caught by exactly the same people. So I think they struggle to bring in people externally because they, they're very unique in their culture um, and they do lack a lot of those kind of, you know, maybe – new entrepreneurial ideas that you get from hiring people that aren't graduates so that's why i think you know in, in my opinion you know the company is is the way it is because they've had that organic growth model where 95 percent of the population started as a trainee and learned the s3 way and i think it's both a blessing and a curse and you know one of the reasons they are phenomenally successful but also one of the reasons that maybe they're a little limited in in some of the other you know the other aspects yeah, that, that, that's really interesting. So I guess what I wanted to ask you then, and, and I'm always curious about this. So you mentioned how um, high the standards were, the environment was. So I guess why why was it that Chris was able to land that opportunity then to take your career to the States and, and not the person sitting next to you? Because I'm sure there's other people that wanted that opportunity to open up that office in Chicago or get that opportunity. So what what did you do differently? That's what I'm always interested to hear. I, mean, I think I was always pretty kind of bullish about my own career and kind of always had my hand in the air kind of thing. Like, you know, I, I sort of knew that, like, you know, I would eventually maybe grow out of UK recruitment because I think the UK market's tough. I think it's very competitive. And when I looked at S3, you know, at the time, they probably had 150 people in the States versus maybe a 1,000 people in the UK. But... I think something like eight of the top 10 billers were all in the US. So for me, wow. I was like, you know, the, the opportunity is it's clearly, um, you know, a bit bigger over there. Um, and I was always just pretty kind of like, I think from day one, like when I joined the company, I made it clear that that was a motivation of mine. I was very interested in one day living in, in the US. Um, at the time, you know, it was a bit easier to certainly easier than it is to move out here today. But, um, you know, there was probably a more opportunity back in 2012 than it has been the last couple of years. And, you know, I performed well. I, I was one of the, the top rookies in my first year and was, uh, you know, I, was, I don't think I was a top biller on the team, but I was, I was one of, um, you know, the top billers in that London office, which was, um, you know, a decent size. Um, and I think I just constantly put my hand in the air for, for a move and, Eventually, the um, you know they said that we're opening this office in Chicago. Would you be interested in interviewing for it and for the opportunity and um, make the job? Love that. So let let let's um, let's talk about this this change then, because obviously it's had a real impact on where you've ended up. So you mentioned that 
you was part of the computer futures brand, but when you moved to Chicago, it was a life sciences brand. So did you have to change market? Yeah, yeah. So it's complete change, changed markets, changed, and um, you know, and basically built it from from scratch. So it was definitely a big change. Um, the first year was was a struggle. Um, you know, anyone that's done that transition will tell you that the US is very different to the UK. What, what was the most? Let, let's just let's just let's just dig into these real challenges then, because that, that's people really want to know. One, that there's other people that have gone through these challenges if they're going through them right now, and people want to know the dark days and how they got through them. So I guess, yeah, so what were the sort of maybe top three things that you found most difficult in that first year when you took your career there and started that business from scratch? I think like, you know, psychologically, it's obviously a challenge, right? You're moving to a new country. You don't know anyone. Your family are 5,000 miles away. You know, you, you know, there are cultural differences between US people and UK people. And it can be a little lonely. Like, you know, I, um, you know, you kind of hop on a train and, you know, go and see your parents and your mates and, and you know, just take a break. Like, you know, you're, you're there for, um, you know, long periods of time. So I, I think that that's a struggle. And I think anyone that does that needs to be prepared for that and, and needs to, ask for help and, and make sure that, you know, they are, um, you know, that they're vocalising kind of, you know, any, any challenges, um, you know, that they're going through. Um, I think from more of a recruitment perspective, it was a little humbling. In that I think I think the, the US market is a bigger opportunity than the UK market, in my eyes. There's zero doubt about that. Um, but I, I wouldn't necessarily use the phrase easier. I think if you started a job in the UK tomorrow, you would probably do a deal quicker than you would if you started in the US. The US right. is more long-term, it's a bit slower, it's a bit like a steam train. Like when it gets going, it's phenomenal. Um, but you couldn't drop someone into a US market and be like, cool, let's do a deal in the next like four or five weeks. Whereas I thought you maybe could do that in, in the UK because it's a bit more transactional. So I think that psychologically again almost takes its toll on you. I I came in an environment where I kind of smashed it from day one in the UK, moved out to the US, and I was a bit kind of like, wrong with me like you know I, I was used to being a top performer have i forgotten how to recruit you start to doubt yourself um and you know so that was a challenge um i think the differences um you know us is a lot more relationship oriented um it's why i like doing recruitment in the us i think you know in, in the uk it's very transactional sometimes i think you feel like a bit of a, a double blazing salesman and you know you, you're kind of like you know don't want to hear you don't want to see you but just give me good candidates in the US, it's a lot more relationship-oriented. Sometimes you need to meet people two, three times before they work with you. Um, you need to go into the front door a bit more than the back door. And a lot of the kind of tips and tricks that I maybe use in the UK, you know, just spamming mail charts and trying to persuade clients to interview candidates without HR knowing about it and trying to create urgency and say, look, you can't interview this guy on Friday, you've got to interview them on Tuesday. Those kind of things that I think work in the UK didn't really work as well in, in the US. Um, but the most important thing and advice that I would give to anyone doing that transition is you need to look internally at yourself and you need to be willing to adapt. Like I remember there was a massive um, turning point in my career where I was probably six months into moving to Chicago. I was working, you know, 13, 14 hour days. I was working every weekend and I was really getting nowhere and I was exhausted because I was like, I can't do anymore. Um, and it was at that point where I took a step back and said, look, maybe the answer is not to work harder, right? Maybe I must be doing something wrong. And then I 
spoke to a bunch of different people from other offices that have been successful and basically analyzed my own business and almost kind of reset and came up with a plan. Um, and I think people need to do that. Don't be arrogant enough to assume that just because you smashed it in Europe, you know, if you do exactly the same thing, you're going to smash it in the States. You've got to be able to adapt to a different way of working and, and you know, trust your instincts, but, but don't bang your head against the wall. Like, you know, you need to be able to change. And, and once I did that and I started you know, taking a bit more of a long-term approach, maybe being a bit more quality-oriented versus um, quantity, leaning a bit more on marketing and branding than kind of like hardcore sales, things like that started to improve my my business, I think. Yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing that. I guess my my next question, because it just makes sense to ask this, you were just touching on it, but I guess... Would you be okay just to share? I know you were touching on it there, but is there anything else to add on? Like when you did have that moment of self-reflection and self-awareness to go, hang on a minute, am I doing the right thing here? Seek help. Like what were the sort of main things that that you changed that really did move the dial then? Because I think that's what people want to know that maybe can inspire them to change or try new things if they feel like they're hitting their head against the wall. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think listen to your customers, um, you know, is, is really important, right? Find out where the money is, find out what your customers want. And like, it's a tough one because there's a few like intangibles to this. um, I feel the S3 way, certainly in in the UK was KPIs, KPIs, KPIs. If you hit these numbers, these results will come. And that was driven into me so much that when things weren't working, my default was two more numbers, right? You know, that's the only way that I'm going to be able to turn this around. And the reality wasn't that, you know, in a way it was almost less numbers, but it was listening to, um, you know, your customers, providing excellent customer service, getting referrals and, and recommendations um, and, you know, and, and doing things that way. It's all different depending on where you're at geographically and markets and things like that. But I think the most important point is, is listen to people that have done it before and have been successful in the space that you want to um, to, to excel in and then be adaptable enough to, to implement that device um you know the people that didn't make it and i saw a number of people come out and maybe were successful and move back i think they were possibly the people that didn't um you know weren't adaptable they weren't able to pivot their own mentality or how they approached the job to suit the um you know the, the u.s market yeah nice and then i guess just be really curious because I'm sure you, this probably seems like a lifetime ago now, but like I think this sometimes this doesn't get talked about as much. So we mentioned there the sort of epiphany and the change and being open-minded, seeking help, and that had a real uh, impact. Like how, what, is there anything that you can share? Because I'm sure you share it now with people that you hire for your own business, but anything that you did like personally that really helped? So I don't know, you said around being lo- localized, right? Because I think sometimes we've had a couple of people in this podcast that have tried to take their career to America and failed. And, and it was the social side, especially when work's not going well, right? So imagine, mm. like you said, you're putting all those hours, you're working on the weekend and you feel like a failure. And mm. then you've got no friends. No, your best mates are obviously in the UK. and what, You know what I mean? So and if, did you do anything, I don't know, on the personal side that helped? Did you? Was it quite easy to network, find other expats or I don't know, anything personal? Yeah, that, I mean, uh, it was... You know, Americans generally are very friendly people, so that that, that helps, I think. And, and like, yeah, you know, we, um, you know, it, it took some time to kind of, I guess, like meet my like real 
like friendship group. I think when you first move somewhere, you just naturally gravitate to whoever you're closest with. And, you know, it took me a year or so, I think, to forge like people that I'm friends with today, like eight, eight or nine years on. Um, I think for me, it was just, you know, really keeping your eyes on the prize and, and understanding that this is a transitional period. It's not surprising that I didn't pick this up immediately. It's not surprising that, you know, I don't have the friendship group that I do back in the UK. It's almost looking at it logically and thinking, you know what, like, you know, I, I can get through this. Um, you know, technology is so phenomenal these days. You know, you can jump on a Zoom call with all your friends and family and, you know, make. I, I was kind of conscious to not ostracize myself and, and, and just make make that extra effort to, to yeah, yeah, build friends and, and um, you know, kind of do, do that kind of thing. Um, but generally, you know, some people, it, it just, you know, maybe it's not right for them. Like, you know, the reality is there are some people that move out here, do it for a year or so and say that was a great experience. Now I'm ready to go back. And great for them. Like, you know, that's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with that at all. You know, I happen to meet, you know, my, my now wife who's American and kind of settled down here. But, you know, there's some plenty of success stories of people that have come over for a year or two and moved back. It doesn't mean you're a failure if that happens, um, you know. But I, um, for me, I, I just think it was um, about keeping my eye on the prize, being aware that these are probably just normal things that everyone goes through when they make that move and knowing that, career was kind of number one for me and you know if i wanted to truly make a success of myself i had to just push through and and you know get, get through it yeah thank you for sharing that look i'm um I'm, I'm keen to start talking about sort of the, your journey as a business owner but I, I just wanted to ask like the way that you've spoken around like realizing maybe this isn't working or like you said there just understanding that maybe this is a transition and sort of maybe not getting too bogged down in the day to day because you took a step back and looked at the bigger picture. Obviously, what we're talking about here is self awareness, right? And I think sometimes a lot of recruiters don't have this. I'm sure we've managed people that don't have this and get really bogged down in the day to day and stuff like that. Like, where, where's have you always have have you always been able to tap into that self reflection? Or have you always been able to take a step back and don't know where have you cultivated that self awareness from out of interest? No, I mean, I, yeah, definitely not. Like, it's something that, you know, and, and even now, like, you know, you, you kind of got to check yourself sometimes and say, all right, I need to, like, take a step back here. Um, so, you know, it's definitely something you know, I'm still still working on. Um, I just think, that, you know, putting aside time, even as, like, a manager, for example, if you're doing, like, a monthly meeting, like, do it over lunch or do it over coffee or do it in the pub or, like, something like that. You know, it, it just it disconnects you from the, uh, you know, bogging down of, like, you know, day in, day out kind of monotony. Um, and, you know, that's what I try and do, um, you know, take some time to, you know, whether it's just yeah, going and, and, you know, sitting in the bar and having a couple of beers and just figure out, right, okay, on a high level, what do I need to change right now? Or taking, you know, taking a morning off work and just saying, right, I need to sit down and, and you know, just kind of, again, reflect on sort of where things are at before covid taking a day working remotely and being like, right, I'm, I need to you know, disconnect a little bit. I think those things are quite important um, from a self-reflection perspective. Um, but I just do think it, it's kind of like a, it should be a natural, it should be a reaction for anyone that's not happy where they're at today. That's probably the first place I would look is to say, okay, cool, what, what, what am I doing here? Like, you know, is there anything I'm doing wrong? Is there anything I can change to help my own, you know, personal journey? Yeah, and then I think what you're then talking about there, right? Which I think is the, is the important part is you just you just said the first place that I would go is like what can I do or what can I change? And I think 
sometimes people aren't willing to say what can I change and they say my manager Chris needs to change <laughs> oh 100% I mean you know just accountability right. and, and you know is is one of the most important things of, of any any trade that I look for I should have mentioned that earlier but being being accountable and you know when I look at our management infrastructure I look at myself and Mark and, and some of our top performers that's a culture that we really try and cultivate like if things go wrong don't beat yourself up don't blame other people. Look at yourself first. And Mark, my business partner, is obviously, you know, super successful guy. And one of the things that I've always respected about him is, you know, whenever things go badly, the first person he looks at is himself. And having had the success he's had, it'd be very easy to point fingers and say, it's you, it's you, it's you. Yeah, and yeah. His default is like, you know what, I could have done better at this. You know, I'm going to improve moving forward. And I try and, you know, mimic that as well. And I think it creates a culture in a company of people saying, you know what, you know, this is, I'm going to do my part here. Like this went wrong. This was what I could have done better. Next time, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to change it. I'm going to do it better. And you, you don't, don't blame other people. Yeah, I love that, especially if it's coming from the top, right? That it's going to be a lot easier for me in your team if I see my manager going, you know what, that that was my fault. Or Yeah, so, okay, so, so you obviously um, mentioned Mark there. So let, let's talk about Chris, the business owner, right, and the, and the sort of journey that you've been on so far. So it's coming up to nearly four years. You've obviously got big goals for this business. Want to want it to be a sort of 100-person company by 2023. Could you just very quickly, before we go into beginning of this journey like what to paint us a picture of where the business is at today and then we'll we'll sort of reverse engineer yeah yeah sure so today we are i think we're about 25 people now um we'll be 35 by the end of the year um so yeah we're about three and a half four years old um we initially started in um uh, engineering so um you know more Kind of physical engineering, so mechanical engineering, electrical, that kind of stuff. And um, during COVID, that market was hit pretty hard, so we pivoted into um, more software um, engineering. So most of what we do now, we're probably about 80-90% software engineering and tech. Um, and then we have other, um, you know, kind of team. So um, we specialize in terms of technical industries. Yeah, software engineering, development, DevOps and clouds, cybersecurity, AI, machine learning, that kind of stuff. Um, we have a physical office in, in Chicago. Um, we have another office in Dallas. And we have a UK um, satellite office in Stafford. Um so about an hour north of Birmingham. Um, and then we have, we will be opening an office in, in Boston um, beginning of, of next year. So, um, yeah, so 25 people, 35 by the end of the year. And then long-term goal is to grow to 100 people by the end of 2023. Amazing. So let, let's talk about the start then. So you mentioned, Mark, your business partner. Um, so obviously, let, let's just paint the picture here because I think this is when we spoke preparing for this. I think this is obviously what people sometimes always interested in. So my, my typically first question for people like you is like, what, what gave you the confidence? And I'm assuming Mark was, was part, part of that, right? Because you, you um, had someone involved to, to help you start this business. Cause a lot of, I'm sure you've been there, right? Especially in the environments that you've been in down the pub, Chris, look, we're going to, I'm going to start my own business one day. Like I'm billing X. I'd rather make that for myself, all that. Right. But how many people actually do it? So I guess, why don't you talk to us a bit about the start then? Maybe, I don't know, how how did you meet the person that ended up obviously um, investing in, in you and the business and then share with us sort of how that works exactly and then we can start unpacking how that first year was and everything else. 
Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, he actually found me through a, a recruiter. So, um, you know, Mark, Mark's background is he also worked for S3 um, many years before I did. So we, we never overlapped. Um, he started his own business post S3, sold it for a bunch of money. And, and um, you know, and, and then he, he took a year out just for covenants and things like that. Um, he never did a huge amount in the U.S. Like it was always a goal of Mark's to start a business in, in the U.S. So he essentially worked with an internal recruiter to try and find him someone to launch a business with him and be his business partner. Um, at the time, you know, I was pretty happy. Like, Mark and I actually had an initial conversation. And, and after that, I was kind of, you know, really, really liked him. But I was, you know, thanks for no thanks. Like, you know, I'm in a good spot at S3. I'm pretty happy where I'm at. Um, and then he just almost kept, like, nagging in the back of my mind for the next, like, two or three weeks. So I kind of found myself business planning. And I started mm -hmm. actually writing a business plan. You know, I never actually planned on sharing with anyone, but almost just as a kind of an exercise. And then the more I thought about it, a few weeks later, I kind of reached back out of Mark and was like, actually, this is something I'm, I'm kind of interested in. Um, and then, yeah, what we got rolling. Um, it was an interesting one because I was obviously on a visa in, in the US. So we kind of agreed to go into business together probably about six months before I was actually able to resign from, from S3 because we had to get everything compliant yeah. from the visa perspective. Um, so the last six months I was there, I was kind of, you know, knew that this was going to be, um, you know, what we were doing. And I was sort of working on it in, in the background. Um, and yeah, that, that's kind of how, um, you know, how it happened. Mark and I kind of hit it off well. We obviously have relatively similar backgrounds. And, and then, yeah, we kind of worked on it from, you know, it was probably February, March time and then officially launched in, in August. Love that. And then just real quick, because I think th this advice has been shared, like what what qualities was it that you saw in Mark that obviously you've got a track record that that obviously helps with credibility, right? Straight away. But I guess, I don't know what qualities really resonated with you, because I think maybe hearing the qualities that resonated with you that gave you that confidence or made you comfortable going into business with this person could be something that the people listening to this could hopefully look for or try and find in people that they want to connect with or have involved. Yeah, I mean, but for me, it, it was trust and, and yeah, it was trust and honesty. Like, you know, th those were the main things. Um, you know, I, I trust Mark implicitly. I, I think he does the same for me. And I think it's just so crucial. If you're ever going to go into business with anyone, you know, it's like a marriage, right? You know, you just, you have to, no matter what happens, no matter what shit hits the fan or no matter what goes wrong, you've got to be able to trust that your business partner will have your back and you will have their back and, you know, you, you're a team. Um, Mark and I had a bunch of mutual connections, so we knew a lot of people. And I kind of reference checked Mark, and I'm sure nice. he did the same for me. Like we both kind of reached out to people we knew and trusted. And I asked a number of people that used to work with him and, and things like that. And I got a lot of feedback that you know he, he will not screw you over. He's a very straight up, honest guy. Um, and you know that, that, that to me is is everything. So um, I think we shared a lot of our. Um, kind of core values i think that you know when you go into business with people it's, it's fine to be different i actually think that's a good thing in a lot of ways because you can bring different things if you're too similar then that could be you know a challenge in and itself um but i think at the core you need to be linked and i think when you look at mark and i's work ethic you look at our ethics you look at our drive and motivation i think there we're, we're pretty linked um you know and we're, we're pretty well aligned um even though again we, you know we might bring different things to the table um, and that to me was everything like you know i obviously 
I was in a good position at S3. I was, you know, earning good money and, and you know, had a, um, you know, kind of a team I cared about and, and really enjoyed working there for, for, for the most part. Um, so for me to make the move, it, it was crucial for me that I was going in with someone that I, I could trust and that I knew if, if ever, you know, if things didn't go as well as we hoped, you know, we would still back each other and, and you know, it wasn't just a kind of roll of the dice and say, okay, never mind, because, you know, that was my life on the line, really. So, um, you know, it was it was very important to me. That was the main thing. I would recommend anyone that's going to go into business with anyone, you've got to be able to trust them. Like, that's the number one thing that, um, you know, you should look for in a business partner. Yeah. So um, talk, talk, talk to us really quickly. don't have to go into, like, all the nitty-gritty details, but people, I, I've said this a couple of times now, but I, I do feel like sometimes people have the impression in the recruitment industry that if I partner with someone that like Mark, that they're going to gobble up all my profits at some point, right? Or do me over. There's been those sort of stories out there. So I guess, how, how does it work? Are you 50-50 partners? Are you like, I don't know, how, how, how did it structure it? How did you structure the business? No, so we are um, we're not 50-50 partners. We have a um, you know we have a different equity split in terms of the business ownership, um, and we basically you know Mark was um, you know more of a I don't want to say like a silent partner because um, you know he's very involved in the business. But the idea is you know he hired me, paid me a salary as an employee, and then I have a large um, you know kind of equity stake um, you know in, in the business at the same time, and then we kind of take our dividends um, you know based on that split. Um, you know, I think for me it was definitely a question of like should I just do this on my own because yeah there, there is an answer you know if you make a massive success of it then you know yes you will make more money if if it's just you. Um, but I think you know you, you've also got to value the expertise that someone like that brings to the table. Um, and for me, you know, I kind of figured, right, you know, if I can grow my business three times as fast, you know, with an investor, you know, in terms of their cash, but also in terms of their expertise, their contact book, just someone to bounce ideas off and, and things like that, um, you know, then I would probably be about as, you know, financially about as far forward as I was if I, you know, just did it myself. Um, I think if, if finances are your only real motivator and you are a super biller, so you're someone that can bill a million bucks a year personally, um, maybe there is an argument say you should do it on your own. Um, you know, you will probably make more money, um, you know, if, if you, again, you, you want to not massively scale it and, 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 you know, do it yourself. For me, I didn't really want to do that. Like, you know, I would rather have a smaller chunk of a hundred person business that is, you know, a fantastic culture, creates opportunity for people, um, you know, brings people over to the US, gives phenomenal customer service. Like things like that are probably more important to me than, you know, running, you know, owning a hundred percent of a 10 person business that might be super profitable but doesn't achieve the other things that I wanted to achieve. Um so when I looked at things and it was something I thought about very seriously like should I going on my own and do it i decided to go in with an investor because i guess i i wanted to have you know i wanted to have a business partner and i thought it would help me build the company that i wanted to build even if i had a slightly smaller piece of, of the pie basically yeah thank you and again that that it's that self-awareness right on understanding what yeah would be more meaningful you and and what yeah so, so i love that so I guess let's talk. So how how difficult? Obviously, you've you've got that business partner. It, it's been obviously planned for a while. 
Like, talk to us about that first year. How how difficult was it? Obviously, I mean, obviously, you would have had covenants. So, I'm assuming, did you have to build up a a market from scratch? Like, what 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 was the strategy? Yeah. So, yeah, I had covenants. Um, we um, it, it was hard. Um, you know, it, it was very hard, and it taught me and and Mark, I think, a lot. Um, you know, it was one of, if not the most developmental years of, of my career. Um, and, you know, I think the truth be told, we, we made a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, we survived and, and we did, um, you know, I think we did 750K roughly in revenue or something. So, you know, not, not horrible first year, but by any means, um, you know, it was, we, we kind of did what we needed to do, I think, which is prove the concept, get the business off the ground. Um, but it was definitely a challenge. Um, you know, I think, you know, there are things I would I would do differently if, if um, you know, kind of I did it again. Um, but at the same time, it was phenomenally exciting. Like, you know, being able to create that culture, bringing people um, together on on this journey, um, you know, and, and basically just proving the concept that it works. I think the biggest fear as an entrepreneur is going into it and thinking, well, it's just going to fail. It's just going to fall on its ass. And, and, you know, I'm never going to make this work. And seeing, coming to the end of the year and seeing deals going up and, you know, making even and then making profit and then kind of, you know, doing all of those things and starting to think, wow, I can actually turn this into a real business, started to get really exciting. And then, you know, we'll start to really progress from there. So look, so, pe- pe- people listen to this podcast because they want to know what you would do differently. Hmm. Chris, so what, what, what is it? What, what would you do differently then? Do you think? Um, yeah, no. So I think I would have done different markets. So, um, you know, I, I kind of went with what I knew, which is, um, you know, basically Midwest, which is the kind of central America, um, and engineering. Um, these were low, low for the US, like eighteen to twenty thousand um, dollars, and um, just kind of a bit more like old school blue collar type customers, like very ingrained in manufacturing. Um, just kind of, you know, maybe not the most innovative, um, you know, customers in the world. So. But during COVID, and you know, it's, it's crazy to say this, but I always say I think COVID kind of accelerated our business like you wouldn't believe, um, because it forced us to pivot into um, you know kind of other, other more innovative areas. Now you know we work a lot in tech. Our average fees thirty five to forty grand. Um, you know, and the markets are just like night and day. So markets would be one. And secondly, I, I would have led and hired more experienced people early. Um, our first kind of five or six hires were all trainees, um, great people, very talented, hardworking, like, you know, love them to bits. But I think if I'd hired a, a right-hand man or woman at that time, someone with, you know, kind of even two, three years of really good recruiting experience, maybe paid them a bit more to, to be more of a, a kind of, yeah, like a, a right-hand person to me, um, I think would have helped us. Like now we've got a bit more of an infrastructure, we have a bit more leadership, we've got some phenomenal villas. Um, and, you know, it took us a, a couple of years, I think, to really almost get the right people on on the bus. Um, so those are probably, you know, markets and then leading with, with having, you know, one or two very good experienced people are probably the two changes I would have made. Yeah, yeah, really, really interesting. Thank you for being um, honest there. So, so where where was you then, like in terms of the amount of people by the end of year one? Then, out of interest, I think end of year one we were probably at about six or seven. I want to say, um, yeah, r- roughly around that. Okay. So what what I was just keen to ask you on on this point because uh, I think it will go. Quite, I'm I'm really curious around this this pivot that you had to make because I I think that's because I'm assuming. Until sort of COVID hit, you was operating in those blue collar markets, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then, yeah, okay, so so that's really interesting, right? So, 
but so I guess in before that, I guess it'd be really great. I get a lot of messages uh, from people that, that are really interested in hearing and really understanding, like what are the nuances of the US market that I need to understand or like, like what do I, what am I going to learn the hard way? And then look back in six months ago. Yeah. Like that you, this is how you got to do it in US. So I guess like, I don't know what are some of the sort of core nuances that us UK based recruiters that a lot of people do want to come over to the US and a lot of, like I would say most businesses, ambitious, progressive businesses before COVID hit would have had US on, on their business plan. I think a lot of businesses still do. So I guess, I don't know, before we go into that pivot, and and how you approach that like what what are the nuances that we need to understand what we've typically heard on this this podcast is um the the directness of of people um we've heard around um actually the actual profession being a recruitment consultant has a better reputation in the US like what are some of the nuances that you maybe you make sure you communicate to your guys in the UK that work for you that they may have to learn the hard way yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the yeah, it's an interesting one. The How you're treated in the U.S. is night and day. That's why I love recruiting in the U.S. I do feel that it is a lot more of a, a respected career. You know, it's funny. I remember I sent out my first mail shot in, in the U.S. and sent out a mail shot in the U.K. And, you know, I, I can't even, you know, probably talk about some of the responses you get. But it's like, you know, <laughs> F or beer, I'm going to kill your family. Like, crazy, <laughs> just like people just so angry you send a mail shot in the u.s i remember when i sent my first one and the responses are just like thank you so much for reaching out like i'm so happy <laughs> you emailed me um i'm not hiring right now but i would definitely keep your content information like it, it's crazy how, how different it is um you know not to kind of duck the question but it is it's challenging because you know i think so much of it are intangibles like people ask me this all the time because yeah like you said there's a lot of people trying to make a success of, of the u.s and i i, I have a lot of colleagues that run businesses in the uk that, that often ask me like you know what you know what would you do here and what would you do there um i think you know you've got to take a bit more of a long-termist approach to it um you know understand success is not going to come overnight you know build for year two three and four rather than year one um you know build those relationships um you know Again, maybe marketing and branding is a bit more important than smashing the bones and, and kind of hardcore sales, um, you know. So, but it's, it's, it is tough to say. Like, you know, for me, I've been out in the US eight years now. I made a ton of mistakes, um, and I, I feel that like you almost, it's almost inevitable that you have to go through that journey. Like, if you're looking to build a US business, I would almost say to you, do not expect it to be successful in the first couple of years. It's almost like building a contract business, but stick with it because, like, you know, it. it will be successful if you do it right and you learn and you adapt um and that's why you know i think i, I hope that we have a relatively uh you know good proposition for people and um, you know whether they're in the uk or, or the us um because we I mean, we know how to do us recruitment we, we've kind of cracked it so anyone that is looking to move out to the us or just looking to work the us market from the uk and, and make us wages and make a lot more money uh, you know i think our structure and our relationships are pretty kind of well set up to do that so that's why i think you know that's one of our kind of usps i guess to, to anyone in in the um you know the, the uk is that we, we really understand the us market but it's taken a long time to to do that but we're in a we're in a position now where we kind of get it and we know how to be successful in this space so um if i'm listening right now and, and i speak to people that that i know that are going through this at the moment I'm a I'm a recruiter that does what you do, but in the U UK, some of my existing clients have some US operations, and 
I've put a business plan together and my business has said, look, let, let's let's give US a real crack. Work US hours in the UK um, and we'll see where we are in six months time. Like how, let's just let's just put aside a second that we're, we're not doing the completely wrong things and we're doing more of the, the things that have helped you guys get to where you've got to. Like what would your honest advice be to me on like the timeline that I should give it for me to then go, okay, there's a business here or like maybe we should actually pivot or look at different things roughly, would you say, timeline-wise? I, mean, I would look at, um, you know, in, in the first two months, I, I think you should look at um, tangible um, outputs that you know are going to lead to results. How many terms are you signing with with customers and, and what does the opportunity look like with, with those customers? How many client meetings are you going on on a monthly basis, albeit remote meetings in Zoom? How many jobs are you pulling? How many interviews are you booking? Um, you know, those kind of numbers that you know are going to eventually lead to um, to success. Um, for me, um, you know, I, I think if, if you don't see any revenue on the board or getting close to revenue on the board, month three or four, you, you make a little concern. I think by month six, you should be able to consistently do, um, you know, kind of a deal a month. Um, but again, it, it, it's just, it's so hard to say for sure because the, the metrics are just so different. Like, you know, there are some markets where it will take you a long time to crack in. You know, there are, we have some markets where our interview to placement ratio is, um, you know, about, um, you know, Four or five to one. You know, I, I have I have two guys on on um, you know kind of uh, my team. I won't give their names, but you know, one, they, they basically have done the same interviews this month. One of them will build two hundred k in a month. Um, you know, it's two hundred thousand dollars in a month. Um, and the other one may, may may not do a deal with the same volume of interviews. Wow. And I think it's just the mark. The markets are very very different. We have some that are you know interview to placement ratio four or five interviews. You, you're doing a deal. You have some that you know you need to book. 50 interviews in a month to, to do a couple of deals so it, it, it is very very different and there isn't a kind of one-size-fits-all mentality that's why that listening to the market listening to your customers being adaptable are those kind of things that i think are, are really crucial fair enough so let, let so look we've got sort of 15 or so minutes left here right so i want to talk to you about your journey so far in in hiring and growing this american business because again a lot of business owners that i speak to really struggle on the hiring side obviously ironically recruitment business can't recruit for their own recruitment company right always hear it but talk to us a bit about what what was like i really respect that you you pivoted this business right and because i think again it's you've taken accountability like you you've really shown that because i think a lot of people could have gone well we'll wait and covid's happened so we're not going to do this or we can't do this. So like, what was the approach then? Cause you've gone from being a business that supported a completely different sector, right. To then mm. doing engineering in the tech space, which is completely different. Um, although it's engineering, but like, yeah. what was the approach? Like how, how did you gain? Cause I'm, I'm assuming you then had to build all again from scratch. Yeah, I mean, we, we invest a ton in technology. So, um, you know, that helps like, you know, we're massive geeks when it comes to tech, like, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, companies out there, you know, the old kind of like, is a yellow pages and a phone book, like get dialing kind of thing. Um, whereas with us, like we invest a lot in branding, a lot in marketing, a lot in tools where you can ramp up very quickly. So, you know, you can add thousands of managers onto the system very quickly with phenomenal data integrity. Um, you can, um, you know, get out and reach people, you know, with really compelling product quickly. So I do think that, that investment in tech helps with the ramp up period, um, you know, for, um, yeah, for, for us. Um, but it was kind of necessity due to COVID. Obviously, COVID here, 
you know, we were in a point where every single thing in our pipeline basically was put on hold. Um, wow. And we basically heard like a, you know, a team-wide meeting where we were very transparent with everyone. And we said, look, this is where we're at. This is the amount of money we have in the bank. This is what our break-even point is on a monthly basis. And this is what we've got to do to, to survive. Um, and, you know, we didn't lay anyone off. You know, we said like, look, I will, you know, Mark said, I'm not taking any money out of this business, nor, nor will I. You know, I, I said I will happily take a pay cut before anyone else loses their job. Um, and, um, you know, but, but we, we need to do this. We've got to pivot. We've got to pivot quickly. Um, and the team responded phenomenally. Um, you know, we, we doubled in size over COVID. Um, we, you know, we, we made a huge success, um, you know, kind of a, of a business. And I think it was almost the, uh, you know, we were doing maybe a lot of the same things, but I think everyone really bought into the vision that they saw it as almost an opportunity where, you know, kind of a lot of companies were furloughing people and laying people off. We were able to hire some of those people. So like you said, it's always a challenge getting good talent. But over that COVID period, we were actually able to bring in some really exceptional talent. And we opened our UK office during that time period, which has been a huge success for us. And some of the people, you know, we took people that had been furloughed in the UK and, and they brought them on board and they tripled their earnings within the first year of joining us because the markets were working in and, and things like that. So it was almost like a mentality shift of like, look, this is why we've got to do this. We've got to make a success of it. Um, and we were able to bring in some really good talent because maybe some other companies were, were struggling at the time. Fair enough. And look, people always, people always want to know this and mess with me. So I hope you're okay um, sharing, but people love to know what to, what tools people use. What what are some of the tools that you've invested in that you spoke really highly of there that's really helped? So for us, it's, it's almost like a kind of tech stack. So we use uh, we use Audro, we use a tool yeah. called um, Seamless AI, we use Zoom Info. Nice. Um, you know, we, we're just, we're currently in the process of Using um, um, onboarding Q19, um, we we have source breaker like it's kind of like everything you know in in um, just available. We, we essentially invest in. And I think the key thing for us is that a lot of these tools are great in isolation, but you always need them in a, in a tech stack. So you need like the one tool is way more effective if you use it alongside something else. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that. You know, there's a lot of companies out there that are just kind of scale, scale, scale. For us, we try and stay probably a headcount or two behind where we could be, and then invest that money in technology. So when someone comes in, make sure that they have every tool they could need to be successful, because I promise it'll pay for itself. And if you, you know, I wouldn't, you know, maybe suggest doing that, but like if you fired your worst person and you invested that money in getting everyone else in your business better technology, I think that would be a smart decision um, and you know we, we you know we hardly ever fire people but like but we almost have that mentality with our headcount where like you know rather than being as big as we could be we try and be a little bit behind and then invest that in and making sure everyone has like a ton of technology um because it, uh, i just think it pays for itself like 10 times over if you do that yeah nice so look on the, on the hiring piece then so you you've got some big ambitious goals right um to get to 100 people when I've sort of uh, interviewed people on here who have ended up in America, one of their biggest challenges, which is quite nuanced actually, is that obviously agency recruitment in the US is is completely different, right? So obviously the typical story um, in terms of how, how it's perceived from the younger generation, from what I understand. So obviously for a lot of us, we may end up in it, fall in it, straight out of uni, blah, blah, blah. 
But in, in America, obviously, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, obviously there's there's this whole uh, really lucrative career for on the as a corporate recruiter, right? And you get all the benefits, the medical care and all these types of things. So when uh, Chris is then speaking to me as a American citizen, you're going, look, you're going to have a lower base salary. You're going to be on a higher commission. Like, I don't know, what's been your journey in actually hiring like American citizens and, and what have you learned? Because that, that seems to be a sort of sometimes a challenge that UK businesses miss because they try and go down that same model and then they're like, shit, we're, we're not in actually a very good location. And two, obviously we're, we have to offer lower salaries because the, the commission earnings there, but that isn't, I don't know, that doesn't seem to be as common. At, yeah, I, I mean, I think for, it's true. I mean, very, very different. I mean, for us, you know, we have um, my vision for the company. I've got it kind of on my LinkedIn is to build the best company to work for in the world. Um, you know, I don't know if you've ever read Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. Um, yeah, yeah. That's my, my why, um, you know, I guess is to build a company that is just phenomenal to, to work for. Um, and I think a lot of it is that you have to have a compelling proposition. Um, you know, you, you know, we have a, you know, we have a five star glass door. We were ranked, we were named the number one company to work for in Chicago last year. Um, and I think that, you know, you, you have to um, have something that is very compelling because if you don't, you're never going to hire anyone because the competition is so high. And um, so for us, yeah, you know, our base salaries are probably slightly lower than some of the internal recruitment roles that you'd get in the US. I think our culture is second to none. You know, we have super high staff retention. We never really lose people. Um, and, you know, I think that that is, um, you know, is, is outstanding. I think when you look at our total comp package, like a lot of our, you know, performers are, you know, they're making five, six, seven hundred K. Some, you know, some are on track to make a, you know, to fill a million bucks this year. Um, what's they're making, you know, I mean, in terms of what they're, they're billing. Um, so I think that, you know, you, you've got to have like a very, very compelling um, opportunity for, um, you know, for those people. Um, you know, we, we also leverage uh, people in the UK. Obviously, we have a satellite office in the UK, which we kind of use as a feeder club to the US for anyone that wants to move here. But we also use it as a very, like, long-term opportunity for people if they don't want to move to the US, if they want to make very good money, they want to have flexible working hours, they want to have a bit more of a maybe a grown up environment than some of the UK recruitment companies, it can be a good option. Um, and the final thing is we're shifting to a, you know, a, a remote model. We always want about 75% of our people to be based in our hubs. So Chicago, Dallas, Stafford in the UK, Boston. Um, but we will we will also have 25, 30% fully remote. So when we see someone that we really, really like, even if they are based somewhere, like we've recently hired a gentleman in, in Philadelphia, we, we've just hired a new head of contracts um, who's based in Kansas City. Um, and, you know, we, we've kind of built this Zoom culture where, whereby, you know, they can still interact very well with, with the wider um, population. Um, but it, it is definitely, you know, it's one of the biggest challenges and I think that you know that's one of the areas that I take almost as my job is to attract great people to our company. Like that's how one of the, the main components I see of my position is creating a company that's going to attract those great people. Because if you do that, then a lot of the rest will kind of you know to take care of itself. But in answer to your question, it is definitely a, a challenge of the US market because there's also not many. Um, you, the US recruitment market is obviously a lot more you know, in, in its infancy than in the UK, which is a good thing in some ways because, you know, there's far less competition. That means when hiring people, it, it can be, um, you know, more of a challenge. There's, you know, there's, there's less, uh, you know, there's less people out there. Um, and then finally, you know, we've had a fair amount of success 
high, I think there's a few maybe UK recruitment companies that are sort of uh, previously were privately owned, but have been bought by private equity firms. They're maybe squeezing some of the commission. Um, so the compensation is starting to drop. We've had some quite good success taking people from some of those larger organizations that have maybe gone on the journey over the last 10 years. They're now owned by a private equity company and and, and maybe the, the opportunity is a little different. So, you know, we've had some success of, of bringing people in from, from those organizations. Yeah, and, and I think look before we finish that that was what I was really curious to hear from you, like because um, I'm sure you have this with your end clients now, and and your 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 guys and girls share this with you. But like, how how do you how have you made that? How have you communicated that culture to make me feel like it's compelling, and I want to be on the bus through a screen and and through Zoom? Like, how how do you think you've achieved that? I know you said that you've done it quite well, but what do you think are some of the things that you've you've done really well? Because I think a lot of people really scratching their head around that and would have found that difficult? Yeah, I, mean, I think you've got to be very aware of what you are and what you're not um, mm. and and then, you know, cater towards those people. So for us, you know, if you are a completely fresh graduate without any experience coming into a recruitment company in the US, it might honestly not be the best outfit for you. Right? People like S3 and, and maybe some of the bigger organisations, they might offer more from leadership perspective from an infrastructure training development you know that, that kind of thing but i think we excel is kind of those second jobbers maybe the people that have been in their company two or three years they've learned how to do recruitment but they maybe want a bit more of a grown-up environment they want a bit more high growth company they, they you know we specialize in we have a phenomenal training program that specializes in taking people from uh, 200k billers to half a million dollar billers, which we we pay um, you know an external company to, to do for us. Um, so I think all, all of that stuff is again it comes down to like well, you know what, what you know what, what are you and what what are you not like what what type of people would thrive in the environment that, that you've created. Um, you know for us our, our three core values are positivity, drive, and innovation. And I think if you are a positive, driven, innovative person, you will thrive in, in the environment, you know, that, that we've created. And from more of a logistics perspective, we, you know, we invest a lot in trips. We, we do happy hours. We do team lunches. We do. We had like a wellness consultant that came and spoke to us all last week about staying mentally and physically healthy during lockdown. Um, we did like a team yoga class, um, you know, the a couple of weeks ago, which I was terrible at. Um, but we do like various kind of, you know, like fun things like that to try and keep the culture going until we were able to all physically kind of, you know, move into to an office, um, you know, to, together. Yeah, fair enough. So look, before I ask you some sort of quick fire questions then, um, I've got two questions for you. One, the, there's a lot of recruitment business owners that, that um, I know and speak to that sort of find themselves in a bit of a yo-yo of like getting to 15 people, then back to 10 or eight, then 15, then back down. Like, what what would your advice be for um, recruitment business owners listening to this that really want to grow their team from X to X and, and the sort of journey that you're on? What are some of the maybe like top three tips for me if I'm listening to this, if I really want to get to 25 heads and beyond, if I'm always back and forth between five and 15. Yeah, so top three tips. Um, I think you've got to work on your infrastructure. Um, so, yeah. you know, I think people often will be like 360, 360, 360, right? You know, you're not you're not going to get to 25 people with 24, 360 consultants. Um, so, you know, work on, you know, getting a marketing person, 
getting an operations person, getting leadership infrastructure, um, you know, kind of, um, you know, through the door. Um, number two would be create a culture that's going to retain people. You know, like I said before, I've always said my job as a leader is to attract and retain the best talent in the market. That's it. If I do that, if I attract the best people to my company, and I create an environment that retains them, um, I think we'll be successful. Um, so I think creating an environment that retains those people. If you're yo-yoing, why are you yo-yoing? Are you bringing in the wrong people? Is your culture just not, you know, as as, as strong as it could be? You kind of need to diagnose, um, you know, what, what that issue is. Um, and then the final thing I would probably say is I think you've always got to look, um, you know, you've got to have a bigger business plan. Like I could tell you, I'll go and get to 100 people. I could tell you all of those markets. I could tell you all those geographies. I could tell you the non-sales people we're going to bring on. Like build a vision of, of where you want the company to go and share it with everyone at the organization so, you know, they can see exactly. It's all very well saying, right, we're going to get to 100 people, but what are these guys going to do? Where are they going to be? What infrastructure do we need? Um, you know, is it contract, is it firm? You know, what geographies? All, all of those things. So, um, you know, I... Those are probably my the three things that I would say if you're looking to really kind of scale your business up. Yeah, nice. And then look, always love asking this question before um, asking some quick fire ones. What what do you think is the most important action or KPI that you think contributes to recruiter success? That's a really tough one. Um, the most important one. I mean, I think that, you know, it's maybe not a KPI, um, you know, but it, particularly in the US, the relationship building aspect is, is so crucial. Like, you know, if I look at the best billers in my organization, I think they're there because they are phenomenal relationship builders. You know, their clients would do anything for them and they will open doors for them. Their candidates would like, provide them with leads. Like, you know, obviously, yeah, being able to pull jobs and being able to go, there's, there's a number that are, are, are crucial. But, you know, I, I do think for me, that kind of, you know, ability to really build and influence relationships is, is crucial. Nice. Right, last couple of questions. So, yeah. first one. Um, if you could change the industry, what would you improve? Um, I would remove a lot of the cowboy recruiters out there or cowgirl recruiters out there. Um, you know, I think that there are, it gives us a bad name. I think there's a lot of people out there that are just trying to make a quick buck. They don't care about customer service. They don't care about doing a good job for their customers. Um, and I think it just always it gives a lot of the market a kind of bad, bad rep. So, yeah, I, I would definitely try and try to eliminate them. Nice. What, what book have you read that's had the biggest impact on you? I would say Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Yes, great book. Um, different one, this one. What did you spend your first biggest commission paycheck on? <laughs> I spent it on a really terrible shiny suit, which anyone that knows me, if they've got to this part of my podcast, um, you know, they're still listening, I know. Um, but yeah, it was absolutely awful. It looked like it. I don't even know what it was. It looked like it was made of like sheet metal or something, but <laughs> I bought it in Savile Row. It cost like about a thousand quid. Um, and I think I've probably still got it in my uh, um, in my cupboard somewhere, but yeah, it was pretty horrific. <laughs> Love that. Final question. What What's the ultimate goal for your recruitment career or, or business? 
I mean, to build the best company to, to work for in the world, right? You know, I want to get to a position where, you know, we look back and, and we say, wow, you know, we, we built a phenomenal company. We treated everyone well. We paid everyone well. We trained and developed them well. Everyone that worked for our company was proud to work for us. You know, the kind of company that, you know, you you invite your parents to, to meet everyone, like, you know, that, that kind of thing. I mean, if we can do that, irrespective of size or revenue or anything like that, you know, I will be a very, a very happy man. Amazing, Chris. Been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, and you, my friend. You take care. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? And if you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms and we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.